0: As we talk about healthy marriages, and I just want you to know that after 28 years, I got it all figured out. Uh, actually, the idea of this series uh, we were talking about is is to just really improve our, our relationships uh, in every relationship that we have. Last week we improving our relationship with God and and how if, if our relationship with God is right, then all of our other relationships are going to be as good as they can possibly be. And so uh, today, uh, I want to focus on what it means to have a healthy relationship in marriage. And I think it boils down to just one thing, really. Um, if you really want to get to the root, I mean, we can talk about love. Love's a great obviously thing if it wasn't for love you wouldn't be married in the first place i'm assuming uh but uh, i think it boils down to more than just that so so i i want to help you especially you you us men i want to help us men because we're the ones that seem more clueless than the women can i get an amen to that Okay, just want to make sure. Okay, there were some men that even said, that's good. You realize it? That's the first step in overcoming uh, your your issues. But we're, we're turning our attention to the marriage relationship, and maybe this would be a better uh, sermon closer to Valentine's Day, but I want to hit on this now because, guys, this gives us a month to get our acts together before the big day, okay? So here's here's the deal. I have told people... Uh, down through the years, and and I kind of jokingly say this in premarital counseling when I meet with people, but the marriage relationship really can be, to find happiness, to find health, to to, to, to find strength, it can be boiled down to six words. Those six words are, yes, dear, you're right, I'm sorry. If you remember those things, everything is going to go much better. But I do think that forgiveness is key. All right, love is huge, but I think forgiveness is is absolutely huge. Maybe even bigger than love, because we use love for so many different things. We talked about this before. Everything from you know, I love the fact that the Bengals won a playoff game yesterday. I really do. Even though I'm a Cowboys fan, I love that. And you know, and I, and I love pizza, and I I love Steve as a brother. You know, but there and, and I love my wife. There's so many different things we use the word love for. Um, and, and it just in, incorporates so many different components. But, but I think it all boils down to forgiveness in, in a marriage. If a marriage is going to be as healthy as it can possibly be, I think f- forgiveness is absolutely crucial. You have to love someone enough to forgive them for some of the things that have happened in our lives. And when you've been sinned against, the marriage... Uh, uh, suffers Um, a married partner in any way uh, when they're sinned against it seems like the pain is more intense than any other relationship that we have because the two are one, and when someone sins against their partner, then it really, um, it just really seems to be intensified more than any other relationship, and the more you love somebody, the more vulnerable you are to them, the more you trust them, and the greater capacity there is for that person to wound you because your trust has been betrayed. And when you're deeply wounded, you instinctively want to retaliate, right? And it doesn't matter what the relationship is, you just want to retaliate. And you know, and just an example, uh, last night I was refereeing a basketball game uh, over at South Decatur, now it wasn't Kendall's game, praise the Lord, Uh, and uh, I was officiating the JV basketball game, and someone from the stands, and I have witnesses, hollered out, said, you're an idiot! They said that, right? And praise God, and I think she's watching from home, thank you, Olivia Willis, for turning around and pointing to that guy and getting him to shut up. So I appreciate that very, very much, and maybe I was an idiot, I don't know, but, but something rose up in me, I wanted to retaliate, I'm kind of, as I'm running up and down the floor, I'm scanning the bleachers looking for who, who the idiot was that called me an idiot, you know? <laughs> All right, I, can't, I should not say that. But the guy, and, and initially I wanted to respond, but then I'm like, you know what? It's, I was kind of that dad too. So I kind of let it go, you know. But when you're wounded by someone, you instinctively want to retaliate. When her husband died, a loving wife in Seattle, Washington, asked a stonemason to carve the traditional words on the tombstone rest in peace, and that was done. A few weeks later she discovered that her husband for the last several months of his life had been having an affair up to the point of his death till the day that he died she went back to the stonemason and insisted that he carved four more words into the tombstone so now there's a tombstone in Seattle Washington that says rest in peace until we meet again so If you're wronged in this life, you just want, you want to get back. You want to get back at him. But Christians, we as Christians, we are to live counter-culturally. My first instinct last night while officiating that game was not good. It was not Christ-like. It is not something that he would be proud of. It wasn't something that I was proud of, right? Because we're to live counter-culturally. Colossians 3:13 is going to be our theme verse for today it says bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another forgive as the Lord has forgiven you and so I want to share with you four principles about forgiveness that I think if we were to apply these to our marriage relationship our marriages are going to be a lot healthier than they normally are and if you're sitting out there and you're not married and you uh, don't maybe want to be married or maybe you used to be married and you're and everything. all right you're getting ready to tune me out a little bit and you think I don't have to listen to this because this is all about marriage these principles apply to the marriage relationship but they also apply to every other relationship that we have but I want us to mainly see them in the context of marriage so here's the first thing uh, forgiveness is essential for a happy and lasting marriage Ruth Bell Graham once said, "A good marriage is the union of two forgivers. The person that you marry is eventually going to uh, hurt you. It's just going to happen. They're going to do some, some things that that it, it's just going to be hurtful. And sometimes those wounds." run really deep like i mentioned in the previous story maybe it's something as deep as an affair or maybe you've experienced alcoholism or maybe uh, physical abuse or verbal abuse something like that or maybe it's just something that's a surface wound from carelessness or thoughtlessness he didn't call when he said he was going to call or, or she she bought something that that uh she didn't tell me about and we didn't really have the money to do that or or maybe his parents were critical of you and he didn't stand up for you and she blames you for the lack of character that's in your child and you know there's all kinds of things that can happen within the marriage relationship and some of those hurts are deliberate and some of those things are not sometimes in the heat of a disagreement we say and do things we wouldn't intentionally do but because we're more interested in winning an argument we say and do things we wouldn't normally do sometimes we do things that are absolutely inadvertent maybe we've been injured and maybe our mate doesn't have a clue why or maybe there are some wounds that we inflict on one another just because we're actually we're just kind of dumb about the nature of the other person we just don't get it sometimes we don't mean to and then what happens sometimes is those, those wounds happen and then they go untreated and then they fester under the surface for so long, you know. And then when they do come to the surface, it, it's very, very hurtful. Or maybe some issues have been probed so much that they become infected over time. You know what I'm talking about? I just won't leave it alone. President Garfield was shot on July 2nd, 1881. The doctors were determined to remove the bullet from his body and they couldn't find it. And so they just kept probing and probing and probing with all of these different instruments that they had. And eventually, uh, they believed that Garfield died from an infection because of all of the probing that was going on. Now, that's, I don't know if that's, you know, actually the, the medical reason or not. But that's what a lot of people believe, that he might not have died if they'd just let the, the wound alone. He might have recovered from it but they just kept digging and probing and trying to get the bullet out of there and there are some wounds in marriage sometimes they've got to be confronted and sometimes they've got to be repented of over and over and over again but rather than let it heal naturally we just kind of keep digging at it and we just won't let it be and we keep reviewing it and as we review it it seems to intensify over time and then all of a sudden we come to the the end of our rope and we say well that's it we just irreconcilable differences we can't get along anymore and you need to understand something if you haven't figured this out yet you need to understand that the person that you married is an imperfect human being can I get an amen to that now some of you are a little too strong on that I'm not going to lie I was just a little too enthusiastic in your amen He or she has character flaws. We all have character flaws. And sometimes those character flaws are going to surface. And you may be, at one time or another, you may be lied to. You may be cheated on. You might be uh, um, neglected. Again, you might be abused in some some way. And if you don't learn to forgive those imperfections, I'm telling you right now, you're going to have a very, very difficult time making your marriage last because we all have character flaws and each of us are currently facing struggles that we're having less than a hundred percent success at overcoming that's why the bible says don't look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own eye because we've all got struggles None of us get it right all of the time. Somebody said, "Don't judge your wife too harshly for her weaknesses. If she didn't have them, chances are she would have never married you." Uh, that might be true. I don't know. But you bear with each other. You forgive one another. When you have a grievance against somebody, don't let the sun go down, anger, or don't let the sun go down on your anger. We can spend our lives berating our spouse for being less than perfect, or we can admit our own weaknesses and learn to forgive them in other people. Somebody said a good marriage is three parts love, seven parts forgiving. I think that there's a lot of truth in that. Here's principle number two. Our forgiveness of one another is rooted in God's forgiveness of us. You forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Well, how has the Lord forgiven you? First of all, his forgiveness is completely selfless. See, here's the deal we need to understand God was offended by our sin, it hurt him. Yet, in the most unselfish act in history, Jesus Christ went to the cross and he allowed himself to be crucified for the penalty of our sin. And while he was on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He sacrificed himself completely. For the good of others. And then he says to us, this is the kind of love that you are to have for one another in your marriage relationship. This is what it's all about. And his forgiveness was unlimited. Not only was it selfless, it was unlimited. There's no sin that we've committed that God will not forgive completely if we trust in him. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the only one that the Bible says is unforgivable. And if you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you're basically turning away completely from God. And you're not going to ask for forgiveness of that anyway. Because you're so far away from Him. He forgave Noah's drunkenness. He forgave Moses' murder, David's adultery, Elijah's doubt. He forgave Peter's denial, not once, not twice, but three times Saul of Tarsus went around killing Christians, and he was forgiven. And the Bible says, though your sins may be as scarlet, he makes them white as snow. And then it's repeated. It's not just a one-time thing. His forgiveness is repeated. He doesn't forgive us once or twice. He continues to forgive over and over and over again. Again, and the Bible says He buries our sin in the deepest sea. He casts it as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. And I'm thankful for that. And His forgiveness is prepaid. He didn't wait until we repented and then began to negotiate the relationship. The Bible says He went to the cross and died for us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. Even before we were born, he died for us. And the Bible says he demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were sinners, he died for us. And his forgiveness is unfair. It's not fair. There's nothing fair uh, toward Jesus about what he did for us on the cross. Oh, it's fair for us. It's great for us. But it wasn't fair for him. The most innocent person that ever walked the face of the earth was executed for us so that we, the guilty people, could go free. That's not fair. That's not justice. That's not the way the system works. But that is the way God's grace works. And that's the marvel of forgiveness. And when we stop and realize just what God has forgiven us of, how can we not forgive our marriage partner when they do something That's really, in the grand scheme of things, probably not even all that big a deal when you boil it down. Sometimes it is, but most days it's not. And he says to us, you need to forgive each other. Not just the marriage relationship, but all relationships. In fact, in Luke 17, he says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times, come back to you and says, I repent. You forgive him. You just keep forgiving over and over and over again. You know that's how Stephen was able to forgive the people who were stoning him. Right? These guys are stoning him; they're killing him. Corey Ten Boom, she talks about it in her book. She was able to forgive the Nazi prison guard who had mocked her, who had tortured her, and who helped execute her sister. And yet she's speaking one night in a church, and he shows up, and she knew she had to forgive, and she did. I don't know. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't know if I could do that. I would hope that I could. What, is, what has your spouse done that is that detrimental to where you can't forgive them? And if you have trouble forgiving your mate, let me suggest to you that you write down the five worst things that you've ever done in your life. Just, just think, don't do it now because your neighbor might see him and we don't want that. Okay. Write down the five worst things that you've ever done in your life. Do that sometime. The five things that you hope that God will forgive you for. That you hope that God has deleted from your record because of the blood of Calvary. And when you stand before him on the day of judgment, he's not even going to bring that up. You write those five things down and then you compare those things with what your mate has done with what you've done, and ask God to forgive you for. You understand what I'm saying? I guarantee you that you will never forgive anyone more than God has already forgiven you. So you forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. I heard about a woman whose husband had just bought a new car. First car, first new car they'd ever owned. Really, really, really nice new car. Um... She didn't want to drive it. She was afraid she was going to put a scratch on it, so she didn't want to drive it. And the husband said, no, don't, you, don't, don't worry about it. You've got to drive it. It's a nice car. That's why I have it. I want you to be safe. Uh, you drive it. About two months into having the new car, her worst nightmare occurred. She was driving the car, and she had a wreck. The police asked to see the registration and the proof of insurance. And when she got out the registration card and the proof of insurance, there was a note from her husband attached to the registration card. And the note said, Honey, if you're needing these papers, it probably means you've had an accident. Just remember, I love you more than I love that car. Robert. That's not where y'all thought I was going, is it? Some of you have big grins on your face, like, oh, this is going to be funny. That's amazing, isn't it? Prepaid forgiveness. That's what Jesus did for us. Third, forgiveness does have some important qualifiers that need to be understood, okay? Forgiveness does have some important qualifiers. And I'd like for you to listen to this carefully because a lot of people misunderstand what forgiveness really is. Forgiveness has some qualifiers that we need to write down and put into practice. Number one, forgiveness does not mean endorsement of someone's behavior. Forgiveness does not mean, hey, it's it's okay, you just keep doing that. Or what you did really wasn't all that big of a deal. It's okay, no big deal. Um, it's not saying, I, I really wasn't hurt by that all that much. That's not what we're saying. We're saying what... What you did was wrong, I was hurt by it, but I release my right to retaliate toward you. Like Jesus Christ, I'm willing to absorb the pain, and I'm going to choose not to retaliate. Next, forgiveness does not mean exemption from God's judgment either. One of the reasons that people have such a hard time, I think, forgiving is that it goes counter against our sense of justice, you know. We, we want people who've done something wrong, we want them to pay for it, you They know? say, you, you mean you're just going to let them get by with it? What they did to you? That person that called you an idiot from the stands, you're not going to throw them out of the gym? I wanted to, you know? Yeah, You're just going to let them go scot-free? You're not going to do anything about it? What I'm talking about here is we just have to refuse to play God, right? We have to willingly lay aside our retaliation and understand that Jesus has told us not to take revenge. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, verse 19, don't take revenge, my friends, leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to revenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And when we offer forgiveness and we show the love of Christ towards someone who's done something wrong to us, especially our spouse, it shows the love of Christ, the way that Jesus loves His church. Forgiveness also does not mean restoration of trust immediately. Forgiveness, very important, does not mean restoration of trust immediately especially. Because that trust has been broken, there's a big difference between forgiving a person and and believing in them. Forgiveness, it can be instantaneous, but trust takes time to develop. For example, if you have a, a young daughter, she's engaged to be married, maybe it's only about six, eight weeks away, six or eight weeks before the marriage, you discover that the The fiance that she's about to marry has been dealing in drugs, and he himself is about $20,000 in debt, and he comes to your house, and he begs to be forgiven. I think you forgive him, but I don't think you say, okay, let's just go ahead and go on with the marriage like it's no big deal, right? And people say, well, you really haven't forgiven him. Well, yeah, there's a big difference between forgiveness and establishing credibility, right? As the great theologian Gomer Pyle would put it, shame me once, shame on you, shame me twice, shame on me. You know, it'd, it'd be kind of silly to put a person who struggles with some type of sin in a situation where they're going to continue to sin. You can forgive them without immediately putting them back in the relationship or restoring all of, all of that, that trust. So we just move, move on with this, but sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes we want to just keep bringing it up. And sometimes we just want to keep rehashing. I love the, the old song that Garth Brooks sang we, we bury the hatchet but leave the handle sticking out, right? And there's this temptation that we have to use the pain that, that, that's been uh, administered to us in some way, we, we use that as leverage to get our way, sometimes for years to come. Because honestly, we like it when we're able to humble somebody, don't we? We like it when we're able to use something against somebody and maybe cause them to be more humble toward us. I know people that just love to rub someone's nose in something. And as Christians, Jesus is saying, no, church, you, you, sh- you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. Forgiveness is not, does not always mean a complete restoration of the previous relationship either. It doesn't automatically mean we're going to pick it right back up where we left off. I mean, that's the ideal. You would hope for that. You want that to happen. But sometimes restitution needs to be made. Sometimes sometimes some relationships really um I don't know, maybe they shouldn't be restored. And I don't always I don't ever endorse um divorce, but but sometimes there's there's situations that are so volatile and just so dangerous that the 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 relationship doesn't need to be restored you know it's it's difficult Maybe there's a, an example of a man who leaves his wife. Maybe he runs off with some other woman, marries her, has a child by her. Three years down the road, comes back and says, Hey, you know what? I'm, I, I should have never done that. So he says this to his first wife. I should have never done that. I made a terrible mistake. I'm sorry for what I did. Can I come back? No, that's tough. My opinion is you can't unscramble eggs. Right? You've kind of made a mess of it and and... I think it's too late at that particular point. Each case is different, I know. But as a general rule, there are just some times it's just not going to work out. You see, forgiveness does not mean endorsement of a behavior. It doesn't mean exemption from God's judgment. It doesn't mean that the trust is restored immediately. And it doesn't mean that complete restoration of the relationship is going to happen. Forgiveness means I release my right to retaliate and I'm going to do my best To restore the relationship, if possible, to the best that it can be. And then the final principle is this. Forgiveness is a deliberate choice and not a natural response. We are commanded to forgive in the Bible. But it's an act of the will. It's not the way that we are wired. It's something that we have to choose to do. But it is something that we can control. It's not always something that we feel like doing, but it's something that we can choose to do. And sometimes we have to go counter to our instinct. William Jennings said, if you act the way you wish you felt, eventually you'll feel the way you act. Let me repeat that. If you act the way you wish you felt, eventually you'll feel the way that you act. So it begins with a mental decision. It begins with the belief that this is the smart thing to do. This is the right thing to do. I choose to forgive because it is the wisest, most intelligent, and most loving thing that I can do. The Bible says that you are transformed by the renewing of what? Your minds. Not your feelings. Right? Paul never said you are transformed by the renewing of your emotions. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, we've all seen a ball player in the middle of a crucial game. He's getting shoved around by an opposing player, and they're going at it on the basketball court, and finally one of the players loses his temper and retaliates, and they start shoving, and then it's on, right? And then one of them gets a technical foul, and it hurts the team, and he's called aside and pulled out of the game, and the fans are going crazy, but then the coach says, listen, you've got you to keep it together. We didn't send you out on the floor to win a shoving match. We sent you out on the floor as part of a team to win a game. And so you have to swallow your pride sometimes. And you have to absorb the taunts. And you have to calm down so that you can win the game. You've got to be smart out there. And I think the, the relationship issues is the same way to a degree. When your mate hurts you, you, you can sometimes lose perspective. And all of a sudden, you think that your goal is to push back, to shove back and wound them like they've wounded you. But when you try to do that, what happens? You hurt your children. You hurt your parents. You hurt your friends. You hurt your testimony in Christ. And I think you hurt yourself. So when you're wounded, no matter how emotional you might be, you got to be smart, and you got to keep it together. Make a spiritual decision to keep it together instead of reacting in anger. You sit down with a legal notepad and you list the pros and the cons. You list the, the pros. If I forgive this person, what's the good? If I retaliate, you know, what's, what's going to happen? And you look at the end result and you decide what you want to accomplish in this relationship and then you start to work toward that. I guarantee you, if you look at it logically instead of emotionally, the cost of forgiveness is nothing compared to the cost of bitterness. The Los Angeles Times reported a few years ago that the Templeton Foundation gave a $10 million grant uh, that was earmarked for forgiveness research, okay? Psychologists, sociologists, they all got together, neuroscientists, they were uh, in on this whole thing. This project was funded, $10 million, to find out why people forgive. And the problem that researchers determined is that people are willing to forgive, but they don't know how. And so they attempted in some way to isolate the active ingredients required for forgiving someone. And you want you know what they the conclusion was they arrived at they arrived at the conclusion that forgiveness comes from facing up to the fact that one you've been hurt two you're going to give up the grudge and three you're going to choose to show mercy that's what they came up with they spent 10 million dollars to figure out what the bible already said don't take revenge don't be overcome by evil overcome evil with good isn't that amazing Even science is starting to figure it out. Well, let's quickly end with some some guidelines. Very quickly. Okay? Number one, pray that God will give you wisdom and strength. First thing you need to do is say, Lord, I can't handle this on my own. I'm really struggling with this. You pray for wisdom and strength. Um, And then pray for the person that has offended you as well. Pray for your, your mate. Pray for that friend, whoever it is, pray for them. The Bible says love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Two, give yourself some time. The Bible says they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Don't make a quick emotional decision. The way you feel at the moment is probably not the way you're going to feel down the road. Some people react in anger and then they regret it for the rest of their lives. Dr. Les Parrott says... They become trigger-happy forgivers sometimes, too, to avoid the pain. So not only do we need to avoid making bad decisions in the heat of the moment, I think there's sometimes we need to be careful of forgiveness too quickly. You know what I'm talking about? Some people get to the point and say, you know what, I'm going to put up with this horrible treatment just because I don't want to have to deal with it. And we become enablers of someone's really bad behavior, and that never motivates repentance. The perpetrator is kind of getting off scot-free without any accountability. So you've got to be careful not to rush in too quickly and say, oh, it's okay, no big deal, I forgive you. Chances are you could be enabling them. Three, lovingly confront the issue if necessary. Sometimes you can just drop the matter and go on. It's not that big a deal. But if the offense is serious, if you're harboring bitterness, lovingly, tactfully sit down and talk about it. Galatians 6.1, if a brother or mate be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual... Restore him gently. But watch yourself or you yourself will be tempted also. Four, humble yourself and seek wise counsel. You may need to go to a trained Christian professional. I'm thankful that we have a couple of people that we can rely on. That if you're struggling in this area, we can offer uh, Christian counseling to you at no charge uh, because of a couple of wonderful people that are associated with our church. So... um, Keep that in mind, okay? But I would encourage you um, to have a trusted accountability partner, whether that's a professional or if that's just a friend or a family member. Someone who knows how to keep confidences. And And, and do me this favor, too. Uh, don't just dump it on anybody who's going to listen. Don't go out among your friends and trying to gather... Uh, uh, people who will take your side. Don't try to recruit people to see things the way that, that you see them. Don't post on Facebook and just ripping somebody who did something bad towards you and get everybody to kind of take your side and build a case. The um, you know, Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You get that one person that you can go to in a situation where you really need some help. And then five, express kindness to your mate. As hard as it is to do sometimes, the Bible says if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. So buy him a card. You know, get him a gift. Perform some act of kindness, some act of service, and hopefully it'll soften their hearts. But more importantly, It's therapeutic for you to give. I think it's going to help your heart and your attitude toward that person. Then finally, remember the sacredness of your marriage vows. Think back to what you said when you stood up in front of the church or the wedding venue you were at in front of the church body, maybe not the building, you stood before your family and your brothers and sisters in Christ and you stood before the Lord and you took those wedding vows. Will you take this person for better or worse? For richer, for poorer? In sickness and in health? Kendall thought it was multiple choice. He said, I'll take better, richer, and healthy. Uh, that's, no, he didn't. That's, that's not true. It's not multiple choice. It's the whole thing. It's better and worse, actually. It's richer and poorer. It's all of these things. You're taking the whole enchilada. Your marriage is to be an illustration of how God has loved us, how God has been faithful to us. And so as tough as it is sometimes to forgive, you do the intelligent thing. You do the loving thing. You do the right thing. And you follow God's commandment. Not just in the marriage relationship, but all of your relationships. I want your marriage to be a living example of just how much Jesus Christ loves His church. And I want you to know that God loves you unconditionally. Maybe your relationship with Him isn't what it ought to be. That's that's where it needs to start, as we talked about last week. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, and if you're here this morning, and and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you, you've never repented of your sins, and you've never been baptized into Him, would you consider doing that today? You can come during this song of decision, if you're watching online, or, or you're here in the the uh, audience here today in person and you want to text that you're ready to make a decision for Christ text it to our church connection number just say ready and we'll reach out to you get with you um, maybe maybe you'll be like uh, uh, Dustin Jeffers Dustin has been coming to church for a while sits right over in this area some, and he's been coming for a few months and he's made the decision that he wants to give his life to Christ and be baptized but sickness has hit their home this week so he's, he was planning to do it today. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it next week, Lord willing. Um, but maybe that's a decision you want to make as well. Um, or maybe it's just a decision that you, you need to repent of some of the things, some of the attitudes, some of the feelings that you've been having, maybe about your spouse, maybe about uh, a brother or sister in Christ, maybe it's a co-worker, maybe it's just a friend. Would you take some time to repent of that today? Ask Jesus to forgive you? Um, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. If you have a public decision you want to make, we encourage you to come.